Hey, uh, let me just pray real quick, and, uh, and let's get into this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. God, God I, I thank you that you are an amazing God that, that spoke this world into existence, yet you desire to communicate with each one of us on a very personal and intimate level this morning. God, I thank you that you know each one of us by name, Lord God. You know the details of our lives and God, you love us so much, and I just pray, Father, that you'd open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you, not from the person behind this pulpit, but to hear from you, God, to be challenged by you, to be transformed by you, God, but most importantly, to be empowered by you. Have your way this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I will never forget, by the way, we've been in a lot of churches, but this is my favorite. It just is. And it's so good to be with you guys. I don't just say that. We, we love you guys. And uh, it, it's a bittersweet thing, but it's, it, it's not. For me, it's mostly sweet. It, you no, know, it is because we don't ever feel detached from you guys. And the greatest joy I have is seeing God raise up people. There's something wrong with us if we don't have that joy. I don't know about you, but when I see my kids, I don't want them to stay kids. I want to see them grow. I want to see them do better than me. Just the other day, where's Mac? All right, Mac, dude's getting stronger, all right? It's in some ways is discouraging for me, right? Because he used to challenge me before he went in the army, and I would, you know, wrestle with him, and I was always a little bit cautious, right? I didn't want to hurt him, all right? Yeah, I'm saying this, Mac, right now. He's going red. I didn't want to hurt him, and I didn't want to break him, and so I'd play with him a little bit. But the other day, he challenged me to gym. He wore me out. <laughs> and he didn't get me down, all right? He didn't get me down. And I got him to a position where I was like, all right, we're just going to let this go now, right? But I wasn't playing with him anymore. But I was thinking, I better stop this before I get hurt. But here's the thing. Aren't you glad that today's soldiers can't be whooped by a 43-year-old? Right? I mean, that's what I want. I mean, I want him to do better, and he is. And I want him to do better, and that's what I want to see. And it actually brings me great joy. It really does, Mac, bring me great joy to see. I might be on the floor going, this is wonderful, Mac. It really, it really does, because that's what it's about. There's a reason why if I try to join the army today, they'd say thanks, but no thanks. We're all set. Because they know what's good for the country, and this guy ain't right now. And, and so, I, you know, I never forget when, when I was sitting in my office and we we're at the old place and we we're getting ready to go and everything is going in the excitement and then God says, Selwyn, get ready, you're done here. What? I'm done? Yeah, your time's coming to an end. But God, this isn't the right time. Well, why isn't it the right time? Well, because this is not when you have a leadership change. That's what I was telling God. I never get what he said to me. He's like, so, well, no, this isn't the right time. Who's this church built on, you or me? It's built on you. You know, sometimes we can say the right things. Maybe not believe them in our hearts, right? And it's built on you. I mean, I believe that wholeheartedly. I'm being genuine. I was like, it's built on you. He's like, then you need to go when you get to the other side. Because this church will not see what I have for it if you stay. Ouch. Right? But God, how can you say that? I mean, we have been faithful. We've seen you do some amazing things. And, 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 and this is just, God, you know, we're going to get there. And we've worked for 10 years. And God's like, no, Selwyn, you don't understand. If you stay, it's not going to happen. And the reason why is because I like buffalo chicken sandwiches. That's why. I mean that. Not because I'm going to be down at Grumpy White's, but this is why. This is why it's important. It's because, see, ask Granny. If I go to, to Grumpy White's, I sit down, I don't even look at the menu. Do you know why? Because I know what I want. And I know what it tastes like. And I know it's good. And no one's going to convince me there's something better. And, and that says more about a sandwich. It says more about a mindset. You understand what I'm saying? It's a mindset. 
That once I find something, that once I get into my routine, and once I find something that works, I corner it off, I defend it, and I say, this is it. This is my sandwich. This is my comfort. This is what I want. And I won't try anything else because I know this works for me. See, that's not just about a sandwich. That's about who this guy is. And God knows me to know that, man, yes, we did some amazing things by faith, and we saw God do some crazy cool things, and all the time I'm writing notes, and this is how God did it, and this is how God did it, and this is how God did it. The problem with it is once I get into my mind how God does something, I will build barriers around it and say, this is how God is going to do it, and this is the only way he can do it. And I'll do it while thinking I'm honoring him. But my God, the God of creation, my, my God spoke things in existence that didn't exist any, you know, before, and, and he did new things. See, I, I'm a guy that's complacent by nature. I like safety, I like comfort. And so God's telling me, someone, if you stay, you're going to see me do this amazing thing. And, and, and because of that, you're going to camp out there. I had this guy come up to me, and, and, and we've been asked to tell the story a few times about, about how God did this in, in this church, and, and I had a guy come up to me, and he said something, and, and I'm not knocking what he said. He said, Selwyn, did it happen under the piano? Like, I don't think so. It happened in a whole lot of business meetings and committee meetings. Like, I'm not tracking what you mean, under the piano. He's like, you know, under the piano. Uh, can you elaborate for me? Because he's like, no, he says, back in the day, he said, we all would spend time at the altar. And I'm not knocking this. He said, and, and, and we would pray, and we would seek God, and, 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 and we would be slain in the spirit, and we'd find ourselves somehow under the piano. And God did so many things in those moments, so they coined the term under the piano, right? Except this guy didn't know what that meant. The piano. And I thought about that, and I thought, while I love that, the problem with that is that we'll coin an area that he's done something and then say, this is how it's going to happen. And then we don't look forward, we look back. Always looking back. Always thinking, this is how it's going to happen. It needs to be the same thing, the same way. It's got to be a buffalo chicken sandwich. Because that's what's good. And so God told me, Selwyn, you got to go. And it starts with you, the senior pastor. You're now the problem if you stay. And I'm, I'm cool with that. Because it's not about me. He said, this is about my kingdom, not about your name. Let me explain something. Let me just put this down. I, I want to read to you from David and Goliath. I was thinking about what to, what to, to preach this morning. I had two things come together, and I didn't really, wasn't sure how they connected, but they connected, and I, I want to do just two points to my message this morning. The first one, I want to read you from David and Goliath. We know the story well, but I'll just read a little bit of it and, and jump into it and paraphrase it a little bit. But I want to start by saying God's ways are, are just not our ways. We know that. But his ways are perfect. Now, now get this, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 through 11, it says this, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. The bronze javelin was slung on his back, and his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Notice how much detail they put into his weaponry. Like they knew exactly what they're up against, right? And, and this man, Goliath, he, he stood and he, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. 
Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And then David shows up. David, this young boy, he shows up and, and he's delivering sandwiches, right? Now just put yourself in this position because we know the rest of the story. So we're like, oh, David shows up, like cool. But if you're actually in their positions, this isn't like, oh, David shows up, there's reinforcements. This is kind of quite different, right? David shows up and he's delivering sandwiches to the real warriors, He's delivering sandwiches to the guys who've got this, the guys who are trained, the guys who are equipped, the guys who have the tool sets, the abilities, the guys who've been fighting this for years. And he hears what's going on, and he says this in verse 32 of that same chapter. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now just imagine this, all right? We're in a board meeting, and we're wrestling through this big battle, and the pizza guy shows up. And he's related to one of the guys in there, and, and, and we've been doing this for a while, and, and, and we're like wrestling, and because he's a relative, he's delivering pizza, we're like, well, this is what we're wrestling with, and he comes and says, don't worry, I got this. I'm probably not saying, tell us more. I'm going to go, hey, that's nice, man, but the pizza's getting cold, right? Go back and play with your Legos. Like, do you know what I'm saying? But David was God's man. In the midst of all the proven warriors, God's ways, not our ways. And so Saul replies to him, much like I would have, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. What he says is, man, this guy, you're clearly not equipped. You're clearly not qualified. You clearly do not know what you're up against. And this guy is seasoned at what he's doing. And David's response is this. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't call that, he not once called the Philistine a giant. Everybody else did. He didn't see him as a giant. He saw him simply as a man who opposed God. And not once did he say, me, with my power and my strength and my ability and my weaponry, I will go. He, not, he didn't say that either. He simply said, the God who delivered me before is the God who will deliver me again. That's what he said. There was a difference in where his confidence was. What happened with these seasoned soldiers is they began putting their confidence in their systems and their process and their tool set and their weapons. And initially their confidence was in God, but over time it went back to a God-given system maybe years ago and they started worshiping the system and not God. And David wasn't about a system, he was about God. And that's the difference in all of that. And so this is what happens, and, 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 and so Saul's like, for some reason, God spoke to Saul, and, and so Saul does what he knows to do. All right, let's get you equipped, and let's start putting on you the things that we know you need. Put on this armor, and put on this sword, and, and put on all of these things, because these are the tools that you need. And, and so he puts them on, but the tools that are effective by all the seasoned people didn't fit David. In fact, what made them good for, for, for the rest of the warriors actually became a handicap to David because they slowed David down. They didn't help him. They decreased him. They tried to equip David with their old pool sets because that's where their confidence was. This is what you need. You need God plus this. And it's like, man, this isn't working for me. I don't need this. I just need him. I just need him. And he had to get rid of some of that stuff. And it's not because that stuff was bad. It just doesn't deserve the confidence that God does. You know, we can start putting our, our confidence in, in the wrong things. 
And God knows it. Psalms, 27, Psalms 20 verse 7 says this, Some trust in chariots and, and some trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord. Sometimes we put a trust in, in, in the wrong things. It's our past strengths. It's our old systems, even if they're godly ones. Remember Numbers 21, when the Israelites are, are being bitten by poisonous snakes, and so God tells Moses, I want you to fashion together a bronze serpent. And everyone who is bitten by these snakes will gaze upon this serpent and they'll get healed. God told them to make this brazen serpent. Fast forward a little bit later, now something else has happened. They're now burning incense to the serpent. And they're now worshiping the serpent. And they're now worshiping the tool. And they're now worshiping something that they were never supposed to worship. It was a tool that God used. And then God had Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, destroy the very thing that he used. Why? Confidence in the wrong things. And God's a jealous God. And he says, this is not about a tool. It's not about a system. It's about me and what I'm saying and my people's ability to hear me and trust me and not a person and not a system and not a strength and not a tool. It's all about him. And God says, this is why I've got to do this. And this is why God used David. And this is why God's going to use other people as well. We serve an amazing God. A God who creates out of nothing. He grows and he develops. And there are seasons for a reason. And there are seasons which seem dead, but growth is happening. And there are seasons of harvest. And there are seasons of fall. My God is a God of order. And he's a God of growth. And he's a God of building and raising up. And I'm a God, uh, oh, I'm a selwyn of a buffalo chicken sandwich. The same, the same, the same, the same. You understand the problem? I am the problem, and so are you. The only difference is whether you realize it or not. Because if you don't realize it, then you become a hindrance to what God is doing. You become a hindrance to growth. You become a hindrance to what he wants to accomplish. And so when God told me, sell what the time is done, my first response is, but God. Then he backed me up a few steps and said, no, you need to see the whole picture. See, God also said to me, so this isn't about you. It's about my kingdom. Guys, you know how many times I stood from this platform and said, this is not my church. Why did God need to tell me that? Because God is a God of new things and creation. God does new things. Isaiah 43, 9 says this. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wastelands. He leads us on new paths. It's, it's why he tells Joshua after 40 years of phenomenal leadership by Moses. 40 years. I would think that's proven and tested leadership, and it was, but then God says to Joshua, I will lead you by a way you've never been before. God, I like buffalo chicken sandwiches. God, I, I like the same. David Those new ways are scary, aren't they? They are. Scary for me, scary for you, scary for all of us. I'd rather worship the snake. That doesn't sound right. I mean, I really wouldn't say that out loud to everyone. But in my heart, I'd rather go with what I know. David was a new way. David didn't see the giant. He never once referred to him as a giant, but rather he saw someone who simply defied God. And here's what David says to the giant. Right? He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you, not with a slingshot, not in the name of a slingshot, not in the name of all my conquests. He just says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. 
God gives his armor, and it's an invisible armor, to his people. Ephesians 6 says this, right? You know Ephesians 6, the armor of God? Right? When we quote this, we can quote the armor, but we, sometimes we leave out the very first and most important verse. The very first one is simply this, right? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's the first thing you're told before you get the armor. Be strong in him and his power. That's your armor. And everything flows from that. He's your strength. He's your confidence. That's where it's at. His ways are not our ways. His ways are scary. But if we want to see his power, I don't know about you, man. I, I, I want to see his power. I, I want to have confidence. Deep down inside, I'm a coward. Hopefully you don't think that. Hopefully that's new to you that I told you that. Thank God there weren't too many amens. But you know, it's just the safety. It's cowardice. I don't want to change. I preached a sermon on change here one Sunday. We went to uh, Grumpy White's afterwards, and, and then I thought, you know what? I just preached a message on change, and I actually mentioned the buffalo chicken sandwich. I should probably order something different. I did. And after I ate it, I said, I'll never do that again. <laughs> Back to the buffalo chicken sandwich I went. Guys, this is much a message for me, too, right? I mean, this is just, God is doing a new thing at GT. He's doing a new thing, and it's good. And it's healthy. And it's so much more than about me and any person, because God wants to build his kingdom, and God wants to build you. And I want to transition here a little bit, because I want to challenge you this morning. Guys, what we do, Christianity is not a Sunday morning religion. It is a lifestyle. And there's no room for complacency, and there's no room for simple church attendance. It just isn't. And if we believe what we say, God is coming back, and he died for our freedoms. And I am so grateful for the men and women who gave their lives the freedoms we celebrate. And that's what we honor on, on, on Memorial Day. And it just, again, like Pastor Ronnie said, it points to Jesus. And, the, and what he tells us to do and the lives and the willingness we should give or have in our lives as uncomfortable as it is to die for him. Maybe, maybe you see yourself as the pizza guy. Right? I don't have anything to offer. I'm coming up. I'm delivering the food. You know, and, and you step into a, a room full of seasoned Christians and you're like, man, I don't know if I should have anything to say here, but I, I do feel something. God wants to use you. Just telling you, God wants to use you. Maybe you limit yourself by this thing or that thing. See, here, here's, what I, here's what I would do, guys. This is, this is just, if, if we, if we had, had not heard God and, and moved in God's way, I would have stayed and surrounded myself with the same leadership that we had. I would have. So my confidence is there. And they were great, and they're awesome. And I would have done the same things, and I would have got into my system and gone, this is how God's done it before. And I would have surrounded myself, and we would have had people look and go, man, these people hear from God, we've seen it. And you know what happens, the danger with that? That when they're not nervous, when they're not nervous, they don't pray as much. When they don't pray as much, then it becomes leadership-led. And oh, I believe in what, that they hear from God, and I believe that they're the people that heard. We've seen it. We've witnessed it. Whatever they say will rubber stamp, and that is not what God has because God wants to build his people. And so what happens is, and the people who are under that leadership will have respect for that leadership and go, man, I never want to serve on the board because they're the ones there, and they're the ones who've done this, and we've seen it. And so God says, man, let me take something that I've done here with with this group, and, and, and now let me send them out. Selwyn, you need to go. Yes, because what you, you, you've been a part of here, if you stay, you will now prevent it from going on, and you're too comfortable now, and you will 
go into the buffalo chicken sandwich mode. And so I need to make you uncomfortable and send you somewhere else. And so now I step out of what was beginning to become comfortable for me into something that is unknown and scary for me. And it's a new thing. And I, I haven't been this path before. And so guess what? My prayer life goes back up. I start depending on God because this is new. And so what was 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 comfortable is now new for me, and now I'm more desperate for God, and God stretches me in the new thing. And so it's not we're getting rid of you because you're worthless. It's I've got something new for you so you can be challenged because I'm not okay with you becoming stagnant. You need to grow. And then when I get moved out, all of a sudden there's a new position that's open, and someone else is seeing it and going, oh man, this is a little overwhelming for me. I don't know if I can handle this position. And then they step into it, and they're like, oh God, I don't know if I can do this. And God's like, you're right where I want you to be, because now you're desperate for me. And then other leadership positions open, and other step in, and the ones who are just trading up, and they're chomping at the bit, but they have too much respect to even try to get in it, and now there's a position, they step into it, and they go, man, I remember what God did, and I remember how they prayed and fasted. Man, I want to see God do it again in my life. I want to see God do it again, and, and now it's their turn, and, and, and the leaders that were in those positions are, are sometimes sent out to other churches, because God's going to send their experience out there, and, and then they step into a new season for them, and, and now they're nervous a little bit, and, and, then, and then God's they're in, a, in a meeting, and, and, and they're wrestling with something that we saw God do something amazing with, and, and now there's one person there, and they're, they're, they're looking at doing a certain thing, and that one person stands up and says, let me tell you about, about what I saw God do first hand, and, and maybe they're standing alone, and maybe they're new David in that situation. And now they're standing there saying, let me tell you what, what God is doing, what God did. And, and now that board is challenged, but they can't deny this firsthand experience. And God is like, I'm building and I'm sending out because if I'm going to build my kingdom, I can't keep them together. I must send them out. What spread Christianity and acts is persecution. Because if the persecution hadn't come, they would have all hung out together. And God said, it's bigger than that. I need to send them out. For their sake, for, for, for the people who are staying sake, for everyone's sake, because he's, he, he cares about us growing, and we're stretched. Jesus said this, and I want to challenge those who feel challenged. Guys, I, I've come to a place in my life where, where I'm, I'm terrified of not feeling a little uncomfortable. And I don't like feeling uncomfortable. But I'm more afraid of not feeling uncomfortable than I am feeling comfortable. Does that make any sense? Because if I'm feeling comfortable, I'm probably not where God wants me to be. Because he's not okay. He's never going to go, someone, you're doing a pretty good job. Let's just, let's just cruise right here. <laughs> he's just not. He always wants to grow me. And I always find myself in these positions where, you know, I'll get to it later. All right. Jesus said this in John chapter 12. I'm going to revive an old illustration I used here this morning. In John 12, 23 to 24, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Guys, I have in my hand one single kernel of corn. Some of you better remember this. Do you know what the potential of this single kernel of corn is? This is pathetic. Did you not even listen? I'm just kidding. All right. This single kernel of corn can reproduce itself up to 1,600 times. One kernel produces one plant. One plant, on average, produces two years of corn. Each year of corn, on average, produces 800 seeds. That is 1,600 plants that can be formed by one seed, but it must look like this first, and it has to die for that to happen. See, Jesus was talking about wheat. I'm going to use corn to illustrate it because he made them all. But it didn't always look like this. It once looked like this. But in this state, it's unproductive. What are these things? Husks. And what do husks do to corn? They protect, they keep it juicy and moist and soft, and they keep it from drying out, and they keep the insects out. And, 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 and so when you, you see this, you go, man, I'd like to boil it up and eat it and put butter on it. And you could do that, and its productivity level at that point is done. 
But in order for this to become productive, there's a process that must take place in this ear's life, if you will, by God's design. And that is the protective layers must come off. And so as it's in the sun, it, it begins to dry out these husks. And, and as the sun dries out, it slowly removes these different husks. I've always felt guilty doing this on other people's platforms, but this one I feel okay about. <laughs> I know the pastor well. And so over time, these layers, and it doesn't happen as quickly as I've done it, but there's just so many layers of protection upon protection upon protection until it finally exposes this juicy, soft corn, and you can squeeze it, and it's not ready to plant anything. In fact, you could eat this, and, and many of you are going, oh, that, that's pretty good. I'm pretty hungry right now. And, and, and then it begins to look not like this, and it begins to look more like this. And no one in here is going, man, I'd like to sink my teeth into that. If you are, we will pray for you. Special prayer, right? But in God's eyes, he's like, man, this is the beginning of life. And the world says, this is dead. I mean, if I w- this is used as a fall decoration. Not this one, because you show up to someone's house, that's on their door in the fall, you're going to feel sorry for them, right? But the world says, this is life, and God says, this is unproductive. And the world says, this is dead. And God says, no, that's the beginning of life. That's what he says. And then he says, as it begins to dry out even more, that seed dries out. And it, it's not till it, it just falls to the ground and is buried that it can begin to produce. Jesus went on in the very next verses and said this, right? He says, the man who loves his life will lose it. Well, the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. How did God go from, well, Jesus go from giving an agricultural lesson to talking about people following him? Because he was never really giving an agricultural lesson, was he? No, he was painting a picture on the life that he And he was saying, this is what you're going to see lived out in me and I am going to the cross, and I'm going to die. Remember Gethsemane? Dying was not easy for the Son of God. He said, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me, because dying is not easy. He said, but not my will, your will be done. And he went to a cross. Why? Because he knew that there existed a desperate need in each one of us, that unless he did that, what chance did we stand? And then he says to us, and the one man who loves his life will lose it. Let me back up. I'm going to jump ahead and then come back. He says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. He says, if you serve me, your life needs to look like mine. If those aren't the most challenging words in Scripture. And then he says, whoever loves his life will lose it. Well, the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What he's saying is this, all right? He's saying, whoever lives their life for me looking like this, trying to protect it, will lose their lives. The very thing they're trying to protect will be gone. But the one who looks dead to the world, but yet looks alive in this mannerism, right? If they, if they try to save their lives, looking alive for the world will lose it. But if they lose their lives and look like this for the world, will actually produce many. See, the problem is that we have husks in our lives. Guys, I wish I could preach this message looking like that one single dried out kernel, but I can't. And if I tried to, I'd be lying to you. Because I have husks too. See, for me, I'm going to tell you what my husks are. God says to Selwyn and Lori, hey, I'm going to send you to Peru. My first response is, oh, great, exciting. But then as I start walking towards what he calls me to, I start seeing the cost of what he's called me to. So this is what I go through. If I move in obedience to God, will I ever own a house? What if I come back 30 years from now and I have nothing? And then I go look at my retirement. What if I don't have retirement when I come back? What about the, the needs of, of Michael? Now, are any of those things bad things to think about? No. But when they keep you from moving in obedience to God, they become idols. And, and, and see, God never does what he's supposed to do in my book. Because what God is supposed to do is I have this 
husk, and as I walk, and, and God says, let's talk about these husks. As I start walking, God, this is going to cost me something. Because here's the truth. I don't want serving God to cost me anything. I don't. I'm just being completely honest with you. I, I don't want serving God to cost me anything. What Selwyn wants, I, I really, he's, I passionately love God. I really do. But, but this is what I do. I go, God, I, I just, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to serve you looking like this. That's what I want. I mean that seriously. That's what I want. The problem with that is that it's not biblical. Do any of you want serving God to cost you anything? Nobody does. That's the flesh in us. And so I, I don't want it to cost me anything. And so, so when, I, when I start walking and walking towards, it's like, God, God and, I, and I start praying about, God, what about this? And, and what God is supposed to do, he's supposed to come and say, someone, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is mine. Remember that guy that gave you 125000 you and your family, your parents, $125,000? I've got another one of them. And they're just waiting for you at the end of your life, as soon as you get through, there's your retirement, and there's your house, and there's all your provision. And then I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. Praise you. Thank you. That's awesome. It's not going to cost me a thing. But that's not what he says. Actually, he says what he's not supposed to say, in my opinion. He says, Selwyn, let's talk about this. And then he says, what if I don't show up the way you expect me to in that area? Will you still go? Oh, but God, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. What do you mean? Like I can quote scripture and I can all of this stuff. And he says, what if, you, what if I don't show up? Here's what I think about God. He has never not met my need. He hasn't always met my expectation. I hope you know there's a difference between expectation and need. All right? There's a big difference. He has always met my need, hasn't always met my expectation. His ways are better than mine. See, it's in that moment where he says, what if I don't show up the way you expect me to? Will you still go? Ah, oh, it's like a punch in the gut. Man, it's in that moment that I go, am I going to bow down to my, to my safety and my security, or am I going to bow down to my king? Am I going to trust in, in this thing, or am I going to trust my God? And it's that moment, wherever that corner is, that I'm saying, am I going to live like this, or am I going to live like this? Am I going to live like this? And God says, that's exactly where I want you to go. Because if you can't trust me with those things, how can I trust you with my kingdom? How can I trust you to pray for the person reeled in the church who's a paraplegic? If I can't trust them with a house... So God puts me in an incredibly challenging situation. And, and I say, okay, God, I'm trusting you. And my heart's in my mouth, and, and I wrestle with it. And then I, I take some steps forward, and then the next morning the husk wants to creep back up, and I have to kill it again. Every single day. I, I wish you could peel them off once, but it doesn't work that way. Every day. And there's layers of husks that have to come off, that God is gently and completely always peeling. Why? Because he has so much more for me than I can dream of and imagine. And he says, Selwyn, if you can only imagine your life de-husked, it's far better than your life husked. And I created you with purpose and with a, a future, and, and I equipped you. And if you're going to walk down the path I have for you, you've got to let go of these protections. God is raising up new people, and it's you. And I have husks, and my friends, each one of you in here has husks too. Some of you guys know sin is not of God, right? But we deal with it, right? Fear is not of God either, but we deal with that too. I find fear and, and faith are bunkmates. They hang out together. And my fear is big sometimes. I can put on a good show, but my fear, my fear gets big. I just pray that my faith is sometimes just this much bigger. And sometimes it's really close. It just is. Here's what I know about you. God has amazing plans for you. But you have husks. 
want to ask you, what are your husks? I, I'm honest with you. I, I told you what my husks are. Some of them husks can look past sins that God's forgiven you for, but you can't seem to forgive yourself for. Husks can look like, like abuses committed against you from somebody else that you now define yourself by and can't get past. Husks can look like insecurities, the way you view yourself, lack of self-esteem. Husks can look like your perceived lack of skill sets. Or husks can look like too many skill sets because you restrict God to using those. Husks can look like finances. Husks can look like anything. But we all have husks and we begin to live according to our husks. And God wants you to understand that he's so much bigger than your husks. And so I want to ask you, glad tidings, what are your husks? And don't answer me. Answer them to him. Tell him what they are. What's that dream that God's put in your heart that's been there forever? And why hasn't it happened yet? Please tell God why. Tell him it's because the finances aren't there. Tell him it's because you don't have the, the right equipping. Tell him. Tell him whatever you need to tell him. Whatever it is that's holding you back. Tell God what is bigger than him. Because he's dying to know what it is. Tell God it's your insecurities. Tell God it's your fear. Tell him it's your past sins. Tell him whatever it is. And I want to tell you something, and it's directly from him. You are no longer defined by any of those things. You are no longer defined by your past sins. You are no longer defined by somebody else's abuses committed against you. That is not who you are. You are not defined by your insecurities. You're not defined by your lack of skill set you perceive. You're not defined by your strengths. You are defined by one thing, and that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which is more powerful than anything else. Now, we're Pentecostal. We say, man, I believe in the power. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me we got to do more than talk about it. Man, we got to live it. And that means it's going to lead us to places that I'm uncomfortable beyond the buffalo chicken sandwich. Beyond my skill sets. Here's what I know. I was wrecked the first year of pastoring. I was terrified. I cried out to God and said, God, I can't do this. And you know what he said to me? You're right, you can't. What he was supposed to say was, I've created you and you are the... No, he said, you can't, but I can. And I don't need you in your perceived strengths. I need you in your surrender. Because when you are weak, you cry out to me, and then I can shine. And that's what God is saying to you. Man, don't dare serve him just in your strengths. Don't limit God to your power. Otherwise, you'll become dependent on those things, and you'll never go past your power. God will use you in your strengths. Don't misunderstand me, but don't dare define yourself by your strengths. But when God leads you out of your comfort and he's leading some of you out of your comfort zones way beyond where you feel overwhelmed and underqualified and he's saying, you're my David right now. You may feel like you're the pizza guy, but I'm saying, no, you're my mighty warrior who's going to take down Goliath. And I am raising up and sending Pastor Selwyn out so somebody else can take his position. And other people can take positions because I am about raising up an army and I have plans. What I know about you is this. You were created. The Bible says he knits you together in your mother's womb. You were defined by purpose and he gave you everything that you need. And he put you in your families, whether that's good or bad, and he put you in your homes, whether that's good or bad, and he put you in your neighborhoods, whether that's good or bad, and he put you in your jobs, whether it's good or bad, and he put you in this church. It's time to quit complaining about your jobs and start realizing God's got you there. And if he doesn't, he'll send you out. And you are equipped and you have everything you need to take that next step. And what you don't have as you take that next step, he will equip you as you start taking steps. He said to Joshua, I will give you every place that you place your foot. But there was action required by Joshua. He had to take a step in the midst of his he had to step out of his husks. And when he dared to step out of his husks, that's when God did it. Guys, we got to get out of our husks and quit saying, God, when you give the money and when you make me sing like Smither and when you let me do this, 
when I can preach like this person, and when I can, then I'll serve you. Oh, God, I'm just waiting on you. You're not waiting on him. He's waiting on you. He's already done it. He's already done it. And there are Davids in this place that feel excited and terrified at the same time. And God's saying, you, I'm calling you. Now is your time. You're afraid? Join the club. So am I. I'm not going, we're not going to Peru because we're some powerhouse. I think Michael's the missionary. I think we're the escorts. That's the truth. That's just true, guys. I'm not going to my power. We are not the answer to the Peruvian's prayers. I can't even speak Spanish. All I know is he's not dependent on that. He's dependent on one thing. Will you trust me and will you go? I'll do the rest. Just go. And I'll equip you. And God's got you guys. And he's putting his finger on some of you now. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to do an altar call. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back. And, and here's the thing. I want you to know that I believe firmly that God can answer your prayers right where you are. Right where you are. But I believe this morning he wants you to step out and come to the front. Not, we're not going to have a prayer team up here. It's just for you to find a place by these altars, bow down to him, and have a conversation with him. In a few moments, we're going to open these altars. The reason why I think God wants you to come forward is because there are husks in our lives, and the very first husk that he wants to remove is the one that keeps you in your pew. The one that says, I'm a deacon, I can't leave this pew. What will people think? The one that says, man, I don't want to leave because I'm embarrassed. Or the one, if you can't allow God to remove that husk in your life in this place, you will never allow him to remove the husk out there. And so he says, the first thing he wants you to remove is that one. And I don't care what it is. We all have them. If we say we don't, we're denying ourselves. But what is it that God's called you to do? Close your eyes for a moment. What is it that God's called you to do? If you could do anything for him, what would it be? And now tell him why it hasn't happened yet. Now, I mean that. Please tell him. Don't tell me. Tell him. Because when you come to this altar, you need to name it. And some of your husks are so massive, you've been defining yourself by these things for all of your life, and you can't imagine what your life looks like defined by anything else. And I want to tell you this, you don't have the power to remove your husks. But he does. But the responsibility you have in your life is you need to name them. This is my safety. And this is my comfort. And this is my control. And this is my abuse. And, and this is the sin. And, and this is my past. And this is my lack of skill set. And, and this is why you can't use me, God. Please tell him why you can't use him. And then go look through the Bible and see how he used everybody that you can imagine. Murderers and adulterers and, and tax collectors and prostitutes. And go how he used them. God wants to use you. And God's calling you out. And the world is desperate for you. Can I tell you something? God says this. God says, I can do more with one surrendered life that bows at this altar in the midst of its weaknesses than I can with 800 people that come to church every Sunday and sing songs to me. Don't give me this. I'll take one over 800. Just give me one and watch me produce 1,600. And you are that one. What if each one of you in this place produced 1,600? He says, where you are weak, man, he is strong. Paul says, I boast more of my weaknesses because of his strength. The world is desperate for God to show up. You are his plan. Here's my, I love this about Jesus. He pours three years into a team of disciples that would fail him on the most crucial moment. 
If it was me, I would have fired all of them. Then I would have said, I wasted my time for three years building this worthless team. And Jesus came back and said, no, you're, I'm going away. And you are my strategy to take the world. But Jesus, we failed you. We ran away. No, no. You don't understand. You and your failures and your sin, you are still my plan. He says this, now go out and make disciples everywhere you go. How humiliating for the disciples because they know who they are. Now go and make disciples. But... Don't you dare go by yourselves. Hang out in Jerusalem until my spirit comes high and empowers you because I've seen what you do on your own. I'm taking some liberties here. And I can't trust you on your own, but your failures and your weaknesses and your sin plus my power is my winning strategy and combination for taking this world. And we are here today because 12 men who failed him Dare to trust this power over their sin. And you are still his strategy. And you are still his plan. And there are people hungry to see this in their workplaces and not this. The problem why people run from church is they don't see this in church. They see too much of this. And it doesn't look. But if it would look like him, they're hungry. And God says, it's you. So join the rest of us failures and join the rest of us sinners too, who aren't doing this in our strength, that are doing it in his power, just trusting God. It's way beyond us. It's way beyond this guy. It's way beyond God. It's way beyond our deacons. I don't have anything to offer. He does. And so do you. And let's do this. What are your husks? When I ask the worship team just to open up, just lead us in song, and you step out and you come and you lay down your husks and tell God what they are and leave them here and walk out of here at least one husk lighter than you walked in with. And tomorrow when it wants to creep up, you kill it again and go out in his power and change the world. God bless you. These altars are open.